Welcome to the latest episode of Do You Know What? My name is Rebecca Singerman-Knight and I am joined as always by my good friends and co-hosts Rabbi Charlie Biginski and Leo Mendel. We're recording this on the morning of Monday the 19th of July, aka Freedom Day. I for one wasn't queuing up at a club at midnight, Leo, were you? No, um, I didn't sort of uh, rush out and uh, throw all my clothes off and stand in the street and say, wow, I'm free. I'm glad to hear that, Leo. That would have been a disturbing image to share with our with our listeners. <laughs> and well, bye, Charlie. Um, again, I'm assuming no clubbing for you. How are you feeling about Freedom Day? I'm feeling really nervous, actually. I feel more mm-hmm. apprehensive now than I have done through this, well, uh, except maybe right at the beginning. I feel like I'm turning down invitations, not that I'm so popular, but I'm turning down invitations left, right and centre of people who want to meet indoors just because of my experience, really, in the lead up to today of masks already coming off and people being a lot more free and just numbers and maybe that's my own personality taking time to adjust but I feel apprehensive. And your kids? Uh, My eldest is at secondary school and his he went into isolation two weeks ago and then last week this whole school closed. Yeah, I'm cautious. It's been so tough for the kids, hasn't it? I mean, I, you know, a lot of my pupils have been, again, the same thing. They've been in self-isolation and I think it's really difficult for the ones in year six. Have any of yours in year six, Charlie? No, I've got year five. Um, I had, Josh was in year six right at the beginning of the process. Right. So, so he kind he of missed had that. everything. Yeah. Um, and did started secondary school <laughs> under bizarre circumstances yeah. and has finished without saying goodbye to any of his yeah. friends. Yeah, or that's exactly any- what some of my pupils are going through now because they've been put into isolation at the end of term. And I think that's really unfortunate. Um, but I'm sure we'll talk more about that and other things. I'm going to bring in our guest, uh, Tal, Tal Ofa. Did I pronounce that? I probably should have yes. probably should have checked that before we started recording. But Tal, thank you so much for joining us on, on our virtual couch and for our listeners who don't already know you i've been doing a little bit of twitter stalking so i've got an idea who you are um, and youtube stalking we might come to talk about some of your piano a little bit later on because i am a fellow pianist but um tell our listeners who you are a little bit about you and your background absolutely thank you so much for having me and good morning to all the listeners and to you my name is tal i am originally born and uh, raised in israel and I've been living in this beautiful country for the last 12 years. And what brought me originally to this country uh, was my master's degree, which I've done at the LSE. Quite interestingly, when I decided where to do it, I had to pick between King's College and LSE. And LSE had a more specific project about European Union politics, which really attracted me. It was 2006. There was no Brexit then. But I thought... It's, it's going to probably be more useful for me in the future. And um, I decided to, to go for it. And after I finished my, my studies, um, I just thought that um, I would really enjoy living here, developing my career and will be involved in the Jewish community as much as I can, which took me, uh, which took me a while to get involved. But we can obviously speak about this later. Fantastic. And and so when when did you finish your your masters? It was 14 years ago. Um, oh, right. it was for, it was that long ago. Okay, yes. fantastic. And then obviously you have been here through the whole Brexit adventure. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Um, not just the, be- the Brexit adventure, but also my first job was in Parliament. I, w- I used to work for an MP, and it okay. was during during the expenses scandal. So I experienced some uh, some some interesting stuff. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And what was that like coming from Israel and then seeing how the British Parliament was working or, or not working at that point? I mean, that must have been quite interesting. It is interesting because it's completely different in how members of Parliament address each other in debates. And the, 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 the debating culture is obviously is a little bit different. The processes, the procedures, there's so much history around it. Mm. And I've been following it from before and I used to watch, uh, yes, Prime Minister. and uh, Which is the most accurate portrayal, I think, of British politics to this day. <laughs> I find it really interesting, this kind of insider-outsider, like, Bit. I lived in Israel as well for a while and also felt very close to Israel. Um, at what point do you feel more inside than outside or more outside than inside? Are there, was there a moment or are you still feeling that balance or is there like some things you feel when the football's on, you feel more English? I'm really interested in that. I think I felt inside when I had patience to stay in a queue, which I wouldn't have when I lived in Israel. Because everyone everyone is just lack of patience. You know, you, you're on the road or you're in a, in a supermarket or in a bank and, you know, you always want to cut corners and to be the first to get to the queue. So I think, yeah, I, I learned probably to cure when I was a student. So it probably helped me um, <laughs> to get used to some of the uh, some of the, the menace and, uh, you know, what's what's involved you know being a resident here and one of the things we've talked about on this show a lot is that is about when things happen in israel and how our community reacts but i must be slightly different for you because it's one thing when you're the only jew at work and somebody expects you to answer about israel but actually you are an israeli and i wonder whether it's in those moments how you cope with that has it has it been difficult over the last few months previous times yeah it's 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 always been it's always been difficult because i remember that one of my first experiences was the uh, demonstration that was in trafalgar square in january 2009 after the uh, the operation in uh, in gaza and i have to say that i personally went on on a slight journey when back then 12 years ago i was probably less open to the criticism of the, the Israeli government, and I was probably more of a more of a part of the Hasbara uh, uh, gang. Um, and I did my I I went on a journey. I would say that I'm more open. I think you know, being here and having the perspective of of, of living in Israel, serving in the IDF. I was an officer. I served in the West Bank for a couple of years. So I think it gives me uh, the perspective and the prism to look at, at the reality, what happens there, and try and use it for benefit of making the, the, the community's position and understanding. And obviously, in the, in the last two months, it wasn't the easiest ones because I was subjected to attacks. My wife, who is a, a teacher in, in a secondary school, was targeted because she's Jewish um, by, by, by the kids who came and shouted in her class, um, the different uh, chants, which we all know. Um, and thankfully, the, 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 the police took it really, really seriously and the school as well. So, yeah, it wasn't, e it wasn't easy, but I think um, overall, I really feel part like home being here. And I have two kids which are going to schools, um, going to liberal school, which I'm really proud that they are part of. And overall, I really, really enjoy and um, really grateful for uh, having the opportunity, you know, to be to be part of the, the community. Because I think it's for people like me, if you look at the background, people do not tend to um, get involved with the Jewish community, expect Israelis. They 
they don't try or if they try, they give up. And I didn't give up. I tried for a couple of years. Okay, so let's let's talk about this, right, Tao? So for anybody who's listening to this who's not involved in uh, Jewish communities or doesn't know Israelis well, in Israel, there is a... In, Although there's an active now, very active progressive movement, it's always been traditional that you divide Israelis into the religious, which means they're kind of ultra-Orthodox, really, and the chiloni, the secular. And of course, we all know that situations are more nuanced, but often that's the perception. And when Israelis come to diaspora, come out of Israel, they tend to not join synagogues because it's considered religious and I'm doing air quotes for anybody who uh, is listening at home, um, it, it's considered religious in a way that they have not had access to. They would never have thought about accessing unless they were already involved in a progressive community. But you didn't join a progressive community. You, I mean, I re- what happened? What, what made Tal think, do you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm not going to just hang out with Israelis. I'm going to go to a synagogue. I, I think when you live in a country, um, and it's the same the same in Israel, you need to contribute and you need to be part of where you live and you need to give back to the, the community and, you know, to, to, to the country as a whole. And because I've probably been in the army, um, I think this is like the ultimate sacrifice that you can do. You I mean, you give your life for three years and you put your life at risk, potentially. So when I came here and I wanted to be involved in the community, I realized that unless I will become a member of a synagogue, it will be very difficult for me to be part of the Board of Deputies because the majority of the organizations uh, which are members are synagogues. Um, so, and I didn't know too many people back then. So I started going to, to the local synagogue where I live, um, which is Jigwell and Hainold, which is the United Synagogue Shul. Um, not because I'm Orthodox, but because it was convenient, because this is where um, I used to live. And um, I wanted also my kids to get some Jewish, uh, Jewish studies before they go into school which was important for me as part of their identity. And that's how I, that's how I started to get involved. And you're right. Um, there are almost no Israelis who are going to synagogues here because um, if when you live in Israel, you only go to synagogue if you're religious, if you're um, authority, if you're a believer, if you're praying. Uh, secular people do not tend to go unless in the high holidays in Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, etc. So I actually enjoyed and I used to go before the pandemic, I almost uh, used to go every Shabbat. I really enjoyed the services overall. Um, I had the honor to read on many occasions the prayer for the state of Israel and defense forces um, in both Hebrew and English. And my kids used to come for uh, for the children's services as well. So really enjoy it. Um, and I think this is something which I really like because I didn't used to go to shul when I used to live in Israel. I used to go just maybe in Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. And here, actually, I enjoyed going. The majority of the people who come to shul, they, they're like me. They're not religious. They're secular. And they go because it's... Um, it's part of the society. You have to go and to meet with your community and what place is best to get all Jews together other than maybe a Jewish pub, but we don't have Jewish pubs. So I oh, we should uh, do that. Let's do that. <laughs> so the shul is a great place for meeting um, other people, other like-minded people and other professionals. Um, so I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I first met you, Tal, uh, through the Board of Deputies when you were the representative for uh, the school you mentioned, you are a very active person on the board of deputies uh, and a very, I always thought this is a person with a different view or ra- rather a view from, from being there and can actually speak with a slightly different perspective on there. Did, 
did that go down well in your time doing that? Or did you come across people that didn't like it? Or how did you find that? I think it's both. Um, so I did got responses on, on both sides. Um, probably because because of my background, probably putting the head over the parapet is easier for me, probably because I worked in parliament, probably because I was an officer. So it's easy for me to speak uh, publicly, um, which is not something which is easy for everyone. But in terms of what I've been doing, what I've been saying, there are probably mixed mixed reactions. So I just recently um, got thrown out by my shul as a deputy because my rabbi and the chairman didn't really like um, what I said about the two-state solution and uh, being uh, really publicly against the annexation in the West Bank. So what they've done, they used basically the um, the election for deputy in my shul, asking people to stand against me and make sure that those people will have enough votes. And in the process, they also told some people, please don't stand uh, because we have enough candidates, because they wanted to ensure that I will not be, uh, I will not be elected. So I'm unfortunately I'm not a I'm not a deputy anymore because of that, um, which is which is which is really sad. Um, but I'm I I am happy with what I've done. I have no regrets. I think that you know I took some of the causes which I think the, the silent majority in our community um, wasn't really feeling um, maybe strong enough that they could go publicly and and push it and. Because, you know, certain causes in the community are associated with some groups or some individuals. And, you know, some of those individuals are being portrayed by others as fringe groups, even though they are not. So I just thought if I can try this in, and, and unite and try to get people from both sides. And I can give an example. When we did the annexation letter, we got 42 or 43 deputies. And I managed to get the support from people like Ivan Lawrence, who used to be a conservative MP. Um, so you cannot say he's a left winger. And we have people from all walks of life, ages, denominations. So I think what I try to do is try to build consensus, uh, try to try to get to get people together. And of course, I know that it may alienate some inside, it may alienate some outside. But I think overall, I think the majority of the people in the community, in my community, and um, in the in the British community, I think they appreciate what I've been doing. And some of the stuff really requires courage, um, and I, I think I, you're right. It needs courage to speak about these things. I mean, I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with some of your points. And I think that's the whole, the whole, in my feeling and being at the board, I've been either as a deputy or working with the board for over 10 years. I always like it when people talk about things that doesn't mean to say that they are actually saying that um, you must do this. That, that, that doesn't work. Um, but when people have a strong and robust debate about the different sides of things and you hear the different sides and you, you can appreciate that, that I think is where the board is at its strength. And it, it's quite hard to, to hear about you talking about the fact that, you know, because you've got a different view that other people have, that that view isn't uh, shared. And I, you know, this is always a difficult subject because, you know, I'm not, I'm not a United Synagogue member uh, but we you know sometimes you sit there and go it, you know I, I know how it's it's sometimes really tough i've got friends who are in the united synagogue and it's like you have to f almost follow a line and if you don't follow the line it's it's tough i'm talking around a subject that is very hard for us to talk about uh, but i understand that you know you were sitting in there you tried it you did that i think one of the things i always used to watch which 
always used to please me. Doing all the live streaming, I'd always come back from the meeting and go, right, it's going to be about 10 minutes time before Tal puts up a cut of his own speech um and i used to watch those watch those with interest because you always used to put up and to me it's like you're engaged you're actually doing something and i used to watch those watch those as you put them up i mean that's how i got to know tal was through your social media tal really it's amazing to to get an insight into the board really and other people's communities but i'm I want to come back a little bit to what you were saying about consensus and yet also portraying another voice. Because I do feel, as somebody leading in the Jewish community, that it isn't something we've kind of got right yet. The ability to feel confident to lead while at the same point embracing that we don't have to speak with with one voice or that speaking with one voice can mean a multiplicity of voices and that it can be about speaking with respect to each other or it can be about lifting somebody else up I really feel over the particularly highlighted over the last few years that as much as there are communal institutions which have worked really hard to engage different groups in the community we haven't quite figured out how to balance that with not meaning that everybody has to sign up for exactly the same short phrase and that means strength in Jewish community. Yeah, I think I think the, the the problem is not just to do with with our community. I think is the polarization of the the public discourse, and you know, social media companies has a big responsibility in how things are shaped. Because we saw even in, inside the board of deputies, in debates, in meetings, people are disrespecting each other, using some awful terms like "couple," for example, for someone they disagree with on a particular point. And I can give you an example when there was a couple of years ago the. Uh, the 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 Kaddish for Hamas uh, in near Parliament. I personally disagree with what this group of people have done, but I've defended them because I thought they have a right to express their views, and not everyone liked it inside inside the, the board of deputies, including a fellow deputy for my shul who was really aggressive and disrespectful to those group of young uh, Jewish people. So I think this is this is an example, you know, where you where you think. What could we do more? Probably starting, and you know, yesterday, Stisha Be'av, you know, starting with less Sinat Chinam. You know, why did the temple, you know, collapse? I'll just translate. Not everybody's, not everybody has the, the Hebrew and not everybody's Jewish who listens to our podcast. So explain Tisha Be'av, Sinat Chinam, because it's a beautiful example, I think, of a way of taking something that's very traditional and giving it a really very poignant contemporary meaning but please give, explain to people yeah i think you know according in our history the reason why we um, we we went to an exile and why the, the temple is as as destructed is because we were not united we were keep fighting i mean there were different groups who could not disagree and they they were hostile to each other and you know and we we are enough divided in you know different denominations, but we all Jews. We should be like we should be like brothers. And it doesn't matter if you're a left winger or a right winger. You are my brother. We are. We, there are not many of us in the world. There are not many of us in this country. You know, and um, we should we should we should try to be you know united as much as we can, so we will not face another extension or anything like that you know and um, we can disagree we can have different opinions but you know let's keep it civilized i'm i'm absolutely in agreement with us with us tal um a good example for that for on me personally uh, i don't keep kosher uh, but 
I will defend anybody's right to keep kosher and would defend Shakita and all of that. To me, I will defend it, even though it's not for me, if if for me is the right word. And and I think that that's really true. I mean, you talked about Kaddish for Gaza. Um, I remember that very well. I got really cross on social media about that. You are talking about people who are 18, 19, 20, that sort of age or sl- around there, who are protesting about something that at the time when they knew what they were protesting about, and there was a, there was a timeline of this, at the time that they were protesting, they believed they were protesting about the majority were innocent young people that got killed. And there is some arguments about whether that's exactly true or not. However, they are protesting as we sit here today talking about things like Black Lives Matter and saying that, you know, it is exactly the same. They are just saying, look, I'm not a Palestinian, but that doesn't mean to say that I am, I cannot respect or be concerned that Palestinians are being killed. And that was all they were trying to say. And they were just, some of the, some of that, those attacks that came out were just horrific. As you said, you know, the words that people were using and describing these really proactive people who are, who, who are madrachim on camps, who are uh, organizers of activities, who literally are as Zionist as you can get in respect to dragging people out to, to Israel and seeing what the positives are being attacked by people who sort it just, uh, everything's always a battle and just don't get why that has to happen. And uh, that, that I suppose is the thing that, like Charlie said earlier, Tal, why I follow you on Twitter, why I follow you is because you stand up. I mean, okay, you support Arsenal and that's a bit of a problem, but you stand up and talk about things in a positive way. Um, and for standing up and saying it, you get shot at. Do, do Sometimes do you feel like, why am I bothering? Yes, definitely. Um, definitely. When you, when you get personal abuse against you and against your family um, and, I, and I, I'm getting it sometimes even on, on Facebook and I decided um, last week that I'm taking a little bit of a break from Facebook because I think there is too much toxicity on the, on the, on the platform. Um, so yeah, you do, you do think sometimes, why do I do it? Why do I con- give my time? Why do I contribute so much? But I think I'm looking, you know, at the main, or the, at the over, of, the, of the overarching goal, which is to make the world a better place. To make, you know, to make Tikkun Olam. This is what really guides me. This is what I really want this place to be. Not just my own closed circle, but, you know, the whole, the whole place. Because why are we in this world? We are here to make a difference. Do you think it's possible to do that on Twitter? Because, I, you know, I, what you said earlier, I mean, the, the, the debates that we have in the Jewish community are just you know, reflective of the baits that are having in, in wider society. And you see those amplified on Twitter. Um, and, you know, the divisiveness is just so extreme about ev- everything. You know, we, we, we were touching upon Freedom Day earlier. Um, and, you know, the, the, the whole um, coronavirus lockdown thing has become as divisive as Brexit. And, you know, there are extreme camps and then there are centrists. And do you think, I mean, do you think Twitter is is the place to solve these problems or do you think it's just making it worse? I think it, it's it's part of the place to solve problems, but right. it needs it needs to happen conjunctually. Um, Twitter needs to take action on on hate speech, you know, and all the misogyny, which unfortunately hasn't 
hasn't happened yet. Um, I know that we at the Board of Deputies, we really campaign hard and, you know, we uh, submitted our response to the government on the online bill harms, um, which mm-hmm. I was part of in the Defense Division, which is really interesting. In my personal view, um, as long as you're not finding these social media companies uh, in a substantial amount of revenue, if they don't take down abusive users or abusive yeah. content, they have no incentive because they are hiding behind, you know, the, the U.S. Constitution and, uh, and the freedom of speech argument, which are important. So they, they, need, they need to take some action. Um, there need to be different op- opinions, etc. But some some of the stuff which is allowed to 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 exist there and 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 the abuse and the trolls and the bots is definitely not good for for what we try to achieve. I think to me, it's not about finding them. Although finding is an, uh, the thing, the problem isn't the platforms; it's the people that are putting it on there. And I mean, the the, the classic example was the racism last week uh, to the England players who didn't score penalties. And th- th- then these people, there was a great one. It's like one guy, I don't know how true it's not, but the, the guy's like, oh, no, my, my phone had been hacked. And the police say, okay, well, show us your phone and we will prove if it's been hacked or not. And we've went, ah, oh, oh, maybe I sent it when I was drunk. And it's like, they've got to sit there. I- I'm, I would be very happy for Twitter to never be fined if what they did was every time people put stuff up and they approved, they actually outed and said who this person is and made it clear. Cause that's the problem to me. But that's if they know, they don't always know, do they? Because you can sign up for a new account without an email, but they can be closer than they, there is a lot that they can be a lot closer with than. than I mean, they can be, I mean, one of the debates um, that's come out since, since uh, the world cup final and the, the issues you're talking about is whether or not you have to actually verify your identity to have a Twitter account. And that's possibly one way, although that also like everything, they all have their own issues, don't they? They do. But a, a good example is that Amazon, if you look at Amazon, when you uh, vote on something or you put in a comment, you cannot put a vote, a comment on Amazon unless you've actually registered a credit card. Okay, but there is a, there's, there's a more substantial issue here, I think, which is you're only going to go on a slight tangent and you'll see where I'm going, hopefully. My so son this is was a rabbi going yesterday. on a tangent, right? It's okay. a rabbi going on a tangent. Sit down, sit down. So yesterday, get yourself a cup of tea. My son told me about um, coffee bean, which is worth hundreds and thousands of pounds because it's found in elephant poo, right? It has to go through a process. It makes this coffee bean. And we were having a conversation about something is only worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. So yes, of course, Twitter has a responsibility as a platform to police. But what is going on that people feel the need to anonymously post hate? What is going on that even people with their names on it are posting hate? What is happening? And this is kind of going back to Tyler where we where we were about, you know, consensus and not consensus is why is it that we are living in a world where me having a difference of opinion is leading not into disagreement, not into, you know, disagreement for the sake of heaven, but it's leading into I hate you, your type, this is who you are, and is is just, it's not even polarization, it's an, an upsurge of anti-Semitism, of racism, of misogyny. These are all terms that we've used in this conversation. So yes, Twitter has a responsibility, but Twitter is not the problem. People are the problem. <laughs> like, you know, this elephant coffee bean is only worth it because somebody is willing to pay for it. 
we could take Twitter. There will still be some, you know, away completely. There will still be, people will still find means. And we are, I don't, I don't know what the causes are, but we are becoming more and more ease of our ease and open about our hatred of each other. Yeah. But, and, and as Tal has demonstrated, when you stand up to it, the people who talk about these things end up being shouted out and, you know, and, and cut off of these things. But And that's that's just madness. You're ending up with the people who are thick skinned enough to be able to put up with that. You know, and Tal, I have a huge amount of admiration for you that you're still going because particularly, you know, some of the personal abuse that you've had and when it's directed at your family. Yeah, um, it's not his fault. He's an Arsenal fan. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I won't get into that because, you know, things will get very divisive and very messy very quickly. But, you know, so many other people just give up and you see it all the time. People just, you know, leaving Twitter and saying, I'm not doing this anymore because it is genuinely bad for people's mental health. It is. Genuinely, genuinely is. It is. It's, it's, it's probably, if I probably wouldn't be in the army for three years, I probably wouldn't have a thick skin. Um, yeah, that's a good point. It, it, <laughs> I guess if you've been in the IDF, then maybe Twitter is a little bit more... It makes you really a mature person at a young age. You know, when you're when you're 18, you're getting a lot of responsibility and self-discipline, which are really good things for life. I'm not saying that the army is a perfect environment. It's clearly, I can't say that I had the best time of my life being in the army. I probably wasn't the most suitable person to be in the army because I'm a very logical and sensible person. And in the army, you just have to follow orders. And sometimes the orders makes no sense. Um, but there are some good things which you take from this um, into life and probably being more mature, being having thicker skin. Probably otherwise, I would have given up on 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 all of those things. And have you going back to that? So you've been in the UK for fourteen years or more? Is that right? In total, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've been in the UK for fourteen years, and like I say, you've been here through Brexit and through COVID and blah 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 blah, and Corbyn, of course. So you've been here through a very very difficult, divisive time for everybody, but particularly the Jewish community. Um, and obviously you've been on Twitter for a lot of that time, I'm assuming. Have you seen things get worse in that time? Or is it just kind of more of the same with a different divisive issue? Because in my mind, things I think things have got worse in the last decade or so. Yeah, I think I think... I think it did. Um, I think with anti-Semitism, I think from 2014, when there was the second operation in Gaza since I was here, I think this is when things started to get really, really bad. When you got synagogues vandalized, when you got MPs, Jewish MPs attacked, um, and nothing nothing was really done uh, against it, which was really, really bad. And I think with Brexit, you referenced Brexit, um, I think Brexit got out a lot of racism and xenophobia against people in general and the, the genie was out of out of the bottle you saw eastern european immigrants attacked which is really really shameful because i i'm also of eastern european origin my grandparents are from romania and they were holocaust survivors so whenever i see someone eastern european it's it's like someone hurted me because um this is part of part of my my blood is from eastern europe so um, I think absolutely the discourse, um, not just on social media, but but elsewhere, I think it's just gone uglier. But you see there are good movements which are fighting, you know, in general, the Me Too movement and, and the other movements which are fighting racism. So um, not all hope is lost, um, <laughs> but I think people just need to be a bit more vocal, not to give not to give in to the extremists and because if you give in to the extremists you know we will not have our way of life as we used to as we used to live before so i just think we should just keep up and and fight for what we are believing in so good point 
Tal, you, you, you mentioned earlier you've got kids. Um, how old are your kids? Uh, my son just had his birthday uh, two days ago, so he's five, and I have a oh. daughter, which is eight. Okay, so what are you doing with them this summer now that you, now we've talked about the fact we're unlocked. What, what's the plans for this summer with them? Um, the plans, uh, we're probably going to go here to a couple of weeks uh, in a summer camp, uh, which we should book for them. And um, we may be going to do some some short trip here in, in the country. I don't think that we're going to fly anywhere. I think we're going we're gonna to stay here and maybe we're going to go on a, on a holiday abroad in, in the half term in October. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> So, so Charlie, uh, ne- next weekend, if I'm right, you, uh, your three are off. Not quite next weekend, but the uh, yeah, in a few weeks they are off for uh, two weeks to uh, our LJY summer camp. All three. So you you must be looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Two of them are really excited. One of them, it's their first time, so uh, she is a little bit nervous, a bit out of her comfort zone. Um, and two weeks is a long time when you're eight. Tell you yeah, that. a long time when you're eight. It's yeah. a really long time. But she will have her. She'll be in the same bubble as her sister. So. Um, oh right, you thought that's all being solved, and it, well, well, it all changes. Yes. Are the bubbles? Do, are there still going to be bubbles? I, I there genuinely are still don't going know. to be bubbles because um, it helps us keep them safe, and also means that. If we do, for any reason, have to send a bubble home, we're only sending one rather than the whole camp. So we're 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 trying to take as many precautions as possible that can mean it can be a successful summer. I mean, it's been ah, oh, it's been so difficult for our youth movement to try and figure a way through this. But it, it, it's finding things for them to do, as you say. And and if you want to take them outside, that's the, the biggest risk, isn't it? They, suddenly you're charging around doing things. Um, and I, while we've been on this um, call, uh, I, I've just had a number of texts that a couple of friends of mine have, have just deposited for COVID. But, you know, it's now, as, as we've talked before, you know, this unlock, we're going to go, it's going to just become very very common well my dad's birthday is in uh, a week and we're going away for a few days only in the uk but i am so cautious about getting pinged so you know i'm being really careful about where i go but you know yesterday we went to the beach so we were outdoors we were really distanced but you know you hear all these stories about people being pinged because you sit in a traffic jam next to a or through your neighbour's wall. Or through your neighbour's wall. If your neighbour gets it, they're they're, they're the like sensitive. I'm so much more fearful, not only about catching it now, but about being pinged before yeah, next well, that's, week. Yeah, exactly. That's a really big issue as well. Patel, any COVID freedom day thoughts or experiences that you can share with us? Well, I, I've been home for the most of the last one and a half years, um, but I really celebrate um, uh, having the chance to go a couple of weeks ago to a company event in, in London and meet with people face to face. It's really important in my line of uh, work because I work in sales and I need to meet people face to face. And you can't do everything over video. I mean, I'm a big advocate of technology like, like you are, but it's, it's, it's really, really difficult. So um, I think we'll wait, we have to wait and see what happens. I don't 
I'm not as fearful as some of the media is 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 trying to um, to get people to be. I think people will still wear the mask. I hear already people today on the tube. This people are still wearing the masks. People will be cautious. Um, but I think it's good that we are now in the summer because I think in the summer, you know, there will be less people going to hospital, hopefully, and there will be less people who unfortunately die of the virus. So um, I'm hopeful that we can see some exits uh, out of this cycle that we've been through in the last uh, 18 months. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you mentioned that about on the tube. My view is I will be wearing a mask. And if you're not wearing a mask, that's your problem. It's got to that point where it's like, Policing and big bothering other people is just doesn't work. All right, but we know that people are irresponsible. I mean, we're just talking about this on the podcast. Wearing a mask, it, it doesn't do anything for you. It's helping other people. Other people not wearing masks is not helping you. I really recognise, particularly for people's mental health and for our young people, how important it is for us to open up. And I think it's also consistency is really important, which we haven't seen from this government at all. You know, we've had this turnaround this morning about what uh, Boris Johnson is going to do over isolation. But I think there has to be a balance. I think, you know, I think calling it Big Brother actually is not helpful. What we need is really strong, clear leadership and dogma we say right a good example of behavior and how to lead and that means opening up and that means being with other people and supporting people's mental health and and businesses that really need that face-to-face interaction but leading with example that actually this is not a free-for-all and actually we are going to be left if we're going to continue this moving out we need to continue to behave not just for ourselves, but for other people. And maybe this is our chance to turn around things in terms of social media, in terms of what we're saying to each other, is, is let's take more responsibility for each other and not call it big brothering, but let's call it taking responsibility for each other. Let's see that lead come from the government. Yeah, I think, I think the leading by example is a really, really good point. And I think you're right. I think we've had a slight lack of that um, recently. And I also, yeah, I think, you know, absolutely. Let's use social media to to try and do that it's just it's difficult and it can become quite soul destroying and you can, can become quite pessimistic about it but I really admire people who do that tell like yourself and Charlie who actually go out there on social media and just try to be uniformly positive or just share cat pictures which is the other thing that I just yeah, end up cat doing. pictures in, in fields of <laughs> uh, daisies but you know one yeah, of exactly. the things for example when we're leading we're doing you know joint with our other progressive movements is to try and frame the language around opening up in values right I don't think we've heard enough about that right mm. we, we talk about rules and regulations but actually let's talk about what are our what are our values in this pico nefesh is one for example saving a life but another is doing to others what you uh what you don't want doing to yourself right which is about our responsibility for the vulnerable in society all of these are our, our values that actually we can be using when we talk about opening up rather than you should wear a mask in this place and you should do this. We can, we can lead in a different way. So Tal, um, you talked about the fact you're not the representative for the synagogue you're at. Are you, are you staying with the synagogue? What is your thoughts on that side? No, no, no. I left the synagogue. I had um, a very open conversation with uh, with the rabbi at his house um, last month and I told him that I take this as a personal attack on me and my family because I've been nothing but, you know, loyal servant for the community. I 
championed lots of you know local issues for for our kids i can give you an example with one of the non-jewish schools here one of the kids couldn't take a jewish holiday on sukkot and you know after i got involved the boat stuff uh, we managed to turn it around and the, and that child would uh, was able to take a day off on 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 sukkot from from the school other than you know the stuff that i was doing on the political stuff you know which is more uh, publicly uh, known and and published so I just feel, you know, that I cannot have my my good name associated with this um, with this uh, community and synagogue anymore. And I am hoping to to join and you know being part of the uh, of the liberal Judaism movement. I already spoke to uh, Rabbi uh, Jacoby a couple of times, and um, I think it's for me it would be the natural home. The fact that I was part of that shul before here in the area is only because of convenience. It's not because of my my personal views, uh, which are which are not. I think most people are doing it. They join the shul because this is where they live and it's close and it's convenient for them. I mean, to me, it's great news in a way to us, but it's a real shame because to me, liberal Judaism isn't just about saying, oh, well, we, we're welcome to everybody, which we are. But it's also about you don't have to be a member of us to be involved and we want to be involved with other groups. I'm, I'm very pro. I spend some time at other shuls doing some of the stuff that I have to do, of which Charlie has a moan at me all the time about it or a jokingly moan about it. I think you have a deference, actually, Leo. I think you have a deference. What do you mean, Charlie? I think that I think it's a, there's a trait in liberal Jews, which is to be deferential, I think, it, but not necessarily always in a positive way. I think Leo's cross-communal work is amazing, but part of the reason that I... I um, make fun of him <laughs> in the nicest well, most affectionate right? <laughs> possible way is that I think there's that you know often we do ourselves down like we're like we're the welcoming but they're the real Jews and they're doing the real Jewish stuff and I think that that's slightly problematic and I think especially for someone like Leo who is so comfortable in all of the um, different environments I think you know we should we should ditch the deference we should do the support and the appreciation and the recognition of different ways of being Jewish but I think the deferential bit I think uh, we can ditch do you recognize that the do you recognize that Leah? Um, do you think that's a fair I, comment I yeah I, I feel that sometimes you do feel um you've you have to walk in with a a justification of who or where your background is or why and you know it's almost like are you really you know are you really Jewish? and are you are you really jewish and you're like yeah well and I, and and i suppose that was a little bit brought home to me watching some of what happened at the cotel yesterday i was just sitting there yeah, so, just so tell yes- people what cotel is because and Charlie, what Charlie, explain what happened. No, no, no. You, just... no. I used to explain. Okay. It's better coming from you, but tell people okay. what Kotel is. So the Kotel, the Western Wall yesterday, a number of younger Orthodox men and, and some women decided to shout down the egalitarian area when they were praying and barricaded it so they couldn't actually pray. So let's put this into perspective. Because you do it slightly differently to how we do it, we're not supportive. We're actually going to disrupt and destroy your opportunity to pray on the one day that is set aside to commemorate the destruction of the temple. And you're doing it at the temple that was destructed. So how can you tell me that is a great way to act? And I I watched that and I thought, why, why are you doing that? You know, should we, should we, literally stand there in front of the rest of the western wall and block it 
for the Orthodox one week. How would that go down? I don't know. What did you see it, Tal? Did you did you have any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I first of all, I was always championing, you know, the uh, the Western Wall agreement. You know that all Jews should have a right because the the, the Kotel, the Western Wall, is not belonging to one group of Jewish people. It belongs to everyone, and women have a right to pray there, and you know other groups have a right to pray there. And I think it's really regretful that you know this this group of of uh, Fishiva students came and they divided, they even published that they're going to do it before they said we're going to create a division. Why do you need to create a division? Exactly, you say on 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 Tisha B'Av and. For me, what really what really bothers me is, you know, people say, okay, this is Tisha B'Av or this is Yom Kippur. Let's try and repent. Let's try to remember. Let's try to commemorate. But you need to be be a human being for, for, for all the year, not just one day. And then the next day you go back to what you were before, the divisive and this hostile and all of this, what we spoke already before. I think this is, this is the big problem. If you think that you go and pray or you think that on one day of the year you're going to be kind to each other, you need to be kind 365 days, not just on one day of the year. Let's be kind to each other. And this, this by the way, this was the, not the only issue in the Western Wall yesterday. There was also the issue of the Jewish, um, the Jewish people who went for the Mount to Temple Mount to pray yesterday and again create friction really unnecessarily, you know, why do you need to do it? You know, why do we need to create, you know, this this kind of this kind of facilities? Let's try and maintain the status quo as much as possible, you know, and not try to create any more tension between, you know, Muslims and Jews. Could not agree more. What a place to uh, to move to uh, something slightly uh, slightly different, just because it's one of our favourite things to do on this podcast which is what have you been so tell you are so busy two kids busy job social activist involved in your synagogue well hopefully in a new synagogue what, what do you watch listen to to turn off or turn on i think in the last year i really uh, discovered the beauty of cycling i didn't really cycle before uh, much um, I usually when I used to live in Israel you cycle in Yom Kippur because there are no cars and nobody is driving so if you want to go somewhere to your friends you need to take a bike but I didn't do proper cycling and I started a year ago my wife bought me uh, a bike as a, as, a, as a surprise and I do it once or twice a week uh, in the area and I really really enjoy it I actually stopped running and I do now more cycling and I do more walking and other than that, I think I really enjoy football very much, as Leo uh, already uh, <laughs> alluded. <laughs> we're not um, going there. Don't talk about Arsenal again. <laughs> we're not going there. And music is a really important part of my, yeah, of my life. Yeah, you play the piano, don't you, Tal? Because I just saw that on YouTube. Yeah, because I teach piano, so... <laughs> I play, yes. I play since I was six years old. Yeah. Um, and I think, one of again, one of the main, the, the, the main and only positives from the lockdown is that I found time to play um, again. Um, because yeah. I haven't been playing much in the in the last few years, and then it got me really into playing. And I recorded some stuff and put it on YouTube. You and, did. And I, was, I was watching some well. earlier. It was great. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I, I miss it because I used to play in a band um, when right. I used to when I was younger in Israel and we used to do uh, rock uh, covers of yeah. you know, Beatles yeah. and Deep Purple and all of this stuff. And I miss it. Um, I think music can really give you tranquility and, you know, balance and um, get you concentrated. Oh, it's so and important. It's so important. I, 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 can, I can share with you a secret that when I was a student before going to exams, I used to listen to some heavy metal before the exam because it was used to get me pumped up. Oh, that's a and, good one. 
and yeah, yeah and then concentrate. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, do you now? Do you watch? We talk. We talk a lot about sort of Netflix dramas and stuff like that on this podcast. Do you watch any of the Israeli ones? Do you watch Fauda, Stitzel, any of those? Or I watch all of them. I watch Fauda. I watch. I watch Stitzel. Um, the last one which I watched was Black Space. Um, oh, okay. Which is, which is which is really nice. You should watch it. You should check it out. Is it on Netflix or? It is. It oh, is Black on Netflix, Space, yeah. and that's an Israeli one, is it? It is. Yes. Ah, I will check it out definitely. But I really enjoy watching on Netflix. You know, in four other foreign languages, uh, series like German, French. If Did I watch you some watch French comedies. Dark, the German the German series Dark, the one about sort of mm. time travel and. Did anyone else no, watch that? I haven't. I <gasps> Highly haven't. recommended that one. Highly recommend it. So I think it's two or three series called it's all in German. Incredibly good. Time travel, science fiction. Kind of does your head in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I will love watching it because I also speak a little bit of German. Oh, you'd so really I'd like, like that one. Practice it and understand a little bit, yeah. You'd really like that one. So good. So black space recommendation, dark recommendation. Charlie, what about you? Have you been watching anything? Well, well what Charlie can now see is that the important thing. Which is? Well, Char- Charlie anything. today... Any, everything as of everything. today, Charlie's got back to 2020 vision at last. Oh, she's got Charlie? her fairy focals. That's really exciting. I mean, I always, <laughs> I'm in my uh, second day of fairy focals. I have a stigma in one eye. I, I had it since I was 12, but I never wore glasses. I think when you get glasses at that age, and it's only in one eye, so you can see perfectly because the other eye compensates. Yeah, yeah. But then I kind of started to get older and started to really need and went to the optician I don't know five six years ago and the optician said to me you can't see what do you mean you've been driving and not wearing glasses anyway so then I dangerous maniac (laughs) I felt like I could see perfectly anyway we have covered your your driving and uh, the speed it happened so this is all very slowly new car as well so very slowly very cautiously that is how I drive that's not what Rich says don't worry yes we ignore him during lockdown I think because we've been in front of the screen so much my reading has really um, suffered and I was playing triv trivia pursuit with my parents and the kids a few weeks ago and I, I couldn't read the trivia card and so my dad was like do you want my glasses dear at which point I thought right need to go to the optician so with your perfect vision what have you been watching Charlie <laughs> yeah. anyway I can see now so I, I'll let you know in the future what I've been watching now I can see it Okay, brilliant. Leah, what about you? I had listened to a really interesting episode of 99% Invisible last week. Um, And when an episode starts with, there are two people in this world, there is the people who push their seat backs on aeroplanes, and then there's people who are right who don't. And (laughs) and it was just talking about how, how we perceive ownership of everything that's around us. It's that classic... The classic thing that you we all do just because it's I've sat in this seat so it's mine you know and you sit in you say well it's mine because I can put the seat back and, and other things that we do all the time that's about personal space isn't it because you're basically well, it, claiming the space of the person behind you yeah and, and it's the same when you're in a tube yes and, and you sit there and go well no it's my seat or it's my this it's my that and what we always perceive not just in space but there's lots of other areas in sort of ownership that every think it's always contested and then the argument always is well i was here before you were the other one that they use in american terms is that they say well if you produce on the land that's when you become an owner of it if you mow the lawn of your neighbor continually for a number of years it actually becomes yours gosh there's quite a lot of implications for that (laughs) you're working the land i mean 
that's a very interesting uh, conversation in terms of Israel, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the, 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 apparently there's only six different ways to define ownership and it all comes down to the same arguments. Although I guess the one who's arguing whether he owns it or not at the moment is uh, Richard Branson because there's the argument of did he actually get into space last week? And there's many people say, well, he was, fell short by X number of miles. It is quite funny. I don't know if you watched, did you watch that? Uh, okay, I won't cover that then. So, uh, <laughs> you can tell us about it, Leo. <laughs> he just went up to space and back back down again. So. It was for 90 minutes. No, it was for 90 minutes. Uh. He, he went up, they went up and it was around about 90 minutes, the whole of the flight. And then the argument people say, is, well, what was the point? Well, it's not just he's done it. You start with these things and you prove that, I mean, you know, the Wright brothers, I think their flight was, you know, a few hundred yards. So what was the point? It's like, well, you know, you get there and when you move these things forward. Ownership of land has been the interesting one that I've been listening about. Yeah, that's actually quite relevant to my uh, bat mitzvah portion, which is Bahar, which is a lot about ownership of the land and the jubilee of the land and returning it after 50 years. And I'll be able to speak about more about more on a future episode when I've done a bit of more study. So I'm going to recommend two things. Tal, you may be slightly interested in this. I don't suppose anybody else will be, but I was on another podcast uh, last week um, with my piano teaching hat on. So there's a great uh, podcast for music teachers. So if there are any music teachers out there and you're not already listening to Tim Topham's Top Music Pro podcast called Topcast, I highly recommend it, particularly episode 250, which features me. Um, and I was just talking about some lockdown mashup projects that I was doing with my kids. So over the lockdown, I got quite a lot of my kids choosing their favorite songs. And then we were finding songs that had the same chord progressions and then transposing one into a key of another um, and then kind of mashing them all up together. It was a really fun project to do when everyone was locked down kind of January, February. So I was talking about that and my teaching approach more generally on the podcast. So like I say, maybe no one's interested but it was quite interesting to be on another podcast anyway last week so that was quite good fun and completely different I've just started reading Daniel DeWonder George Eliot's Daniel DeWonder my dad will be over the moon that's his favorite oh right okay well when when we have your dad on the podcast hopefully I'll have finished it by then I've literally just started it I, I did English literature as a degree you know about 30 years ago and I used to love kind of getting stuck into these big Victorian novels he says you have to stick with it and gives you a really interesting insight into oh, Jewish community. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm nowhere near the sort of bit where they kind of introduce that side of things, but I'm kind of getting stuck into the characters. And like I say, it's kind of like going back in time because I used to read a lot of those big novels. And it's great. And it's so nice to get stuck into something. I've got the summer coming up where I'm going to have a bit more free time. And I basically I'm going to spend it with Daniel Deronda and not on Twitter Hopefully. <laughs> not on Twitter, not being, and hopefully not being recorded into lockdown again. Oh, well, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Well, when people listen to this, we'll see how things are going, because obviously this is Freedom Day and things could go many different ways over the next few weeks. Tal, thank you really very much indeed for joining us. Um, we know we can find you on Twitter, but tell people where they can find you, what your tag is, anywhere else they can find you if they want to hear more about you healing the world via Twitter. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. This is my main channel now. So you can find me on, on Tal Offer, hash, um, my, my handle name. And then um, I'm also on LinkedIn for, for business um, if you want to talk to me. And if you want to invite me to, um, to speak, um, get in touch. We will do that. Thank you so much. Like I say, it's been great talking to you today. Leo, where can people find you? Well, first, I'd like to thank Tal for mm. some, as we 
said earlier about some of the things that he talks about and the different perspective and view he brings to the time when he was at the board and it was very enjoyable as I said earlier for listening and watching him uh, talking about the issues um, you can find me WFC Kigo on Twitter um, and you can find me on Facebook as Leo Mindell and Charlie I'm Rab Charlie on Twitter, on Charlie Beginsky on Facebook and all over the Liberal Judaism website. And if you do see me on Twitter, at R. Singerman, hopefully I will be either posting po- photos of my cats, my garden, or trying to emulate Hal and trying to make the world a better place. If you see me ranting, call me out on it. I don't want to do that anymore. If you just rather look at pictures of my garden, it's Rebecca Singerman Knight on Instagram. So thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe, give us a five-star review and stay tuned. See you all soon. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.